0: At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate, and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we'll we'll pray in just a minute, but before we do that, um, at six o'clock this morning... I heard a voice in my head that said, I set before you an open door. At 8 o'clock this morning, I read 1 Chronicles 4.6, which said, do not go beyond what is written in Scripture, that none of you may be puffed up. So I checked on the open door in 3, 8, Revelation 3.8. Revelation 3.8, it said, I set before you an open door which no man may shut. I know you are of little strength, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. The prophets have a vision or a word from God and it's a witness. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I also read Revelation 4.1, I saw a door standing open in heaven come up and so John goes up and he joins worship with the creatures the angels the seven spirits of God so it struck me that the matter of prophecy is in part a witness to Jesus and part of it should lead to worship. Mm -hmm. Revelation 19.10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, will you pray with me the prayer of Elijah? Now, if you've closed the book, you're in trouble, (laughs) aren't you? Page 360 and verse 36, bottom of the left-hand side. Pray it out loud together, shall we? Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. You can substitute Bath or Birmingham or Britain or whatever you like for Israel because where we are is where we're speaking and living. So this is about being formed by the Spirit, the ministry of a prophet here and now. And I now find that I can't read any of this, <laughs> which is a relief to some of you. It's a prophecy is one of the 5 uh, fivefold ministries set out in Ephesians 4.1. thinking about prophets here and now, what are prophets like? Prophets pray, we've prayed together the prayer of this particular prophet at Mount Carmel at this great challenge to the people to renew the covenant and turn back to the Lord. And what happened? The fire of God did fall on the sacrifice. The people did fall. On their faces. And there was change. They rounded up the prophets of Baal. So there's witness. There's a response. And there's change. And that seems to be at at the core of most of what I've been reading. And I've been reading quite a lot. You'll be sad to hear. About prophets. So I think the first part of this prayer is about. Elijah's authority. And the same thing happens with Elisha when he takes over, that he wants something to happen. He asks for a double helping of the spirit of Elijah, the eldest son's portion, and he whacks the Jordan with Elijah's cloak and the Jordan parts, just as it had for Elijah in the presence of himself. So he gets assurance that he is now God's prophet in the sight of the sons of the prophets on the other bank of the river. So they they see the spirit of Elijah now rests on the spirit of Elisha. So it's a bit about being accredited by God. And in Acts 2, 22, Peter says, Jesus himself, a man accredited to you by many wonders, miracles, and signs, which God did among you through him. And the second half is about the purpose, really, that the people should understand that they're in a covenant relationship which they've messed up. They've forgotten it. And they need to rediscover that, who God is, and that he is answering, turning their hearts back to him. So it's witness by the prophet, it's a turn back by the people, and then it's change resulting from that. And that's what, I think, builds up the church. That's what equips Elijah Elisha for ministry, that accreditation. So how do we know that God has spoken to us and that we're to pass it on prophetically? Perhaps it's a call or a vision like Isaiah. Perhaps it's a burden to speak like Ezekiel who went in bitterness and anger in my spirit with a strong hand of the Lord upon me, overwhelmed for three days. Perhaps like Samuel, it's a voice Uh, in the night and he needs advice from the priest to understand what to do in response and to understand it. He had a very difficult prophecy to give, didn't he? Confirming somebody else's prophecy to the very person who was encouraging him that his death and the death of his sons and the loss of his office and the loss of his family office as high priest was going to be gone. And it turned out, just as he prophesied, And worse still, the Ark of the Lord falls into the hands of the Philistines. God's presence, the symbol of God's presence, departed. That's a pretty tough prophecy to give, first time up. And Eli helped him with it. It's extraordinary. There may be some spiritual experience which encourages us a word, a vision. And if we receive it, Is it from God? And who's it for if it is? Is it for me or is it for everybody else? I had two stories lined up to tell you about that, but in the light of the Corinthians passage this morning, I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) So the test might be something like these. Is it consistent with scripture? Is it consistent with what we know of God? Does it fit with the incarnation of Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior, because 1 John 4 says that, um, test the spirits. Spirits who acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh are of God. If they don't do that, they're not. That, the last part's the summary. And then again, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What's it got to say about him, certainly in the current age? Best test before delivery. It's a bit like a car. Does it glorify God? Or does it glorify man? Test it. Prophets in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and the church, ongoing age, um, if it's different from the New Testament, the prophets spoke mainly to God's people, to the people of God. Not, not exclusively. Sometimes prophets spoke to foreigners. In the Old Testament, Joseph uh, uh, Jonah, Elisha, Elijah, Daniel, Nahum, Obadiah all spoke to to foreigners. But in the New Testament, Jesus spoke both to the disciples, both to the people, and to some foreigners. Prophets, even prophets held out as prophets of the Lord, don't always speak the truth. Nathan when David said he was going to wanted to build the temple, said yes, do whatever is in your heart. And then God told him in the night and he had to come back next day and say, got it wrong. It's not for you. Somebody else is going to do that. So even test it. And does it apply to you? And the prophet Zedekiah in 2 Chronicles 18 he made iron horns and he promised King Jehoshaphat victory over the Aramaeans to give Um, in the proposed war that that, that was going on. And Jehoshaphat wanted a bit of confirmation from a prophet of the Lord, so he insisted that um, Micaiah should be asked the same question. And instead of the, yes, go on, here are the horns, you'll win, you'll, you'll, you'll gore the opposition. He had to say, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd, but they ignored it. And they went on and uh, they lost the battle. And there's a false prophet, Hananiah. Um, The prophet Jeremiah had made a yoke and put it on his shoulders, a wooden yoke to indicate that he's serving, he's uh, enslaved. There are buckets on either side. And Hananiah came along and broke the yoke and prophesied on the face of it that God was going to bring back the exiles who'd already gone to Babylon. Uh, Jeremiah having been saying that God was raising up uh, Nebuchadnezzar in order to be his servant to execute judgment on the people because they'd turned away from God and turned to other idols. And Hannah and I were saying, no, 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 it's right. Um, Within two years, all the articles from the temple will be returned and we'll be able to have uh, sacrifices again and restore the relationship by that means. And Jeremiah breaks. Um, well, Jeremiah tells Hananiah that Hananiah is prophesying rebellion and God has not told him to say that and it's not true. And incidentally, you'll die within a year. He died within seven months. And Jeremiah demonstrates in chapter 28 verse nine when the word of the prophet comes to pass it will be known that the Lord has sent that prophet it's the same argument as Deuteronomy 18 and so Jeremiah then goes on and sends his famous letter to the exiles warning them of 70 years in exile and comforting them with instructions how to live keep faith with God that God has a plan and is in control knowing in advance what's going to happen can be very comforting, and help us to cope when things go, go badly. And Elijah prays that God will reveal himself as God to his people and call them back to himself. And they cried out, the Lord, he is God. Do some parts of the church of God, the church militant here on earth, sometimes need a voice to say, Something like that. We like to think that other parts of the church do. I can remember here, um, Colin and Helen Mansell went to the church in Ethiopia, the Orthodox Church there, in order to try to bring a focus on Jesus and to uh, put scripture in the place of ritual. And there were others who went to the Russian Orthodox Church, tried to do the same thing. But what about here? Do we ever... I think we have a word for somebody else. Prophets like Elijah call for a renewal of the covenant relationship when God tells them to, not just as a sort of uh, practice. I can remember in April 1975, uh, uh, a meeting where I was told of a great outburst of prophecy and of wonders in Cambodia just before the fall of Phnom Penh and the Cambodian Civil War. Where the Americans intervened, that burst of prophecy and of wonders, I think, prepared the church there for life under a communist regime of Pol Pot, where if you had glasses, you must be an intellectual, and if you were an intellectual, you had to be killed. Preparing the church for a life under persecution, God's real God's present God's in control and he has a purpose when Jesus warns Peter that Peter is going to deny him he says but when you turn back strengthen your brothers and sisters you will turn back there is a purpose that equips a man to cope with the difficulty So prophets don't always bring welcome news. Often they have to explain a judgment on God's own people. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Samuel's first prophecy, even Jesus, Matthew 23. Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered you Children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wing. Ah, we love that, don't we? But you would not see your house, the temple, is left to you empty, desolate. It's like Ezekiel's prophecy of God leaving the temple, Ezekiel 10. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I think that was fulfilled within about a week and then again in AD 70 and will be fulfilled again when the Lord returns. And he also prophesied the destruction of his body, destroy this temple and in three days I'll rebuild it and his resurrection. Very clear from John 2 and all the way through the rest of the, of the the Gospels. But what, about, what about a bit later on? Are there any other prophets a bit later? Agabus, Acts 11. He foretells by the Spirit that there's going to be a terrific famine, terrifying famine, terrific, in the time of Claudius that happens. And so the, the church... Forearmed with this and equipped as a consequence of the prophecy, gather together a collection, send it by Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, and they, they take it. Why? Well, because the saints in Jerusalem had sold all they had and had everything in common and looked after the poor. They were going to be particularly hard hit by a famine when the price of food goes up. No idea what the price of a donkey's head would be, but nevertheless, that was equipped and able. So those saints in Jerusalem were still able then to build up the body of the church. So prophecy does exactly what it says on the tin in Ephesians 4. So Paul takes another gift to Jerusalem later on in Acts 21. And this time Agabus borrows Paul's belt, ties his hands and his feet with it, and says, this is going to happen to the owner of this belt. And he prophesies that Paul will be taken as a captive into the hands of the Gentiles, just as the Lord was. And this is the nub. There's a reaction to that prophecy. The people all say to Paul, don't, don't, don't go there, don't go don't go! save yourself, don't go there. But Paul says, no, that prophecy is for me. I, I, I take that on board. And so he did go and he was arrested and he was put in the hands of the Gentiles and he was taken and eventually pitches up in Rome in a, a cell. Well, how did that equip Paul? Well, he was equipped because he heard in advance that it was going to happen. So he didn't panic. And was he used at all, Paul, having fallen into the hands of the Gentiles? Well, just a bit. Preaching, teaching, making disciples, even in Caesar's household. Writing. Writing quite a lot. Uh, quite a lot of, of word, which is now regarded as part of the canon, the word of God. And we're still equipping no, we're being equipped by that today for the building up of the church. Authentic prophecy is not democratic. It's theocratic. Popular acceptance is not necessarily a mark that you've got it right in delivering something as a prophet. And it's not always to enable us to escape. It's Prophecy... Psalm 22 Isaiah 52 and 53 sustain Jesus in his most difficult time on the cross he's quoting the prophetic messianic Psalm 22 and Luke 22 confirms that but just sometimes the prophecy does enable believers to escape something for God's purposes and to be built up and to be preserved and to be able to do the things that Ephesians 4 says you can do. So in Luke 23, Jesus says to the disciples, when you see Jerusalem encircled by armies, flee to the hills. What on earth is that about? Well, AD 67 so about 30 years later maybe, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets, goes into revolt the people revolt against Rome hoping to bring God's kingdom by forcing Rome out and they perish in the city it's sacked after an appalling siege. The church run to the hills the church was not obliterated when Jerusalem fell. Desmond Tutu with truth and reconciliation Martin Luther King maybe Perhaps even Wilberforce. They spoke, I think prophetically, to people of power, people in countries with a strong Christian tradition, about their behavior as Christians. And they brought change. I wonder, would they have something to say about fighting to bring about change? I think there's been rather a remarkable change in attitude. Uh, here in Britain about uh, Afghanistan and Ukraine. I think we've changed rather. Prophets are not just foghorns or loudspeakers of a prepared script that comes in one go, although maybe there's a word that comes in one go that's delivered. Sometimes the prophet's instructions arise from a uh, a vision, as um, Micaiah, sometimes from a conversation with God. Jeremiah. Uh, what do you see, Jeremiah? I I see a a boiling pot facing the north. No idea what it means. God has to explain what it means. He says the Assyrians are coming from actually the east, but they will arrive from the north because the desert is in the way and that's where the road is. It's extraordinarily specific. And sometimes it's from scripture. When uh, Elijah went First time to Ahab, he's not described as a prophet, and it doesn't say God said, "Say this to Abraham." Uh, to, um, sorry, Ahab. So where do you get it from? Got it from Deuteronomy 11, where Jesus, where God explains very clearly through the prophet Moses, that there's a connection between the, the people's serving God and turning to Him, and rain and the land, the earth bringing forth its fruit. So he wanders along, comes straight out of nowhere and says to the king, it's not going to rain until I say so. Pretty much. Show yourself to Ahab again, says God, and I will send rain on the earth. So he shows himself to Ahab, sets up the challenge for the prophets of Baal at Carmel and God does respond. He says, Go show yourself to Ahab again. Elijah goes and God sends. He sends ravens, he sends a widow, he sends fire, he sends rain. Not all the same day, but he does. He sends the things that the prophet has said are going to happen and that, that he will need. And James 5, 17 says this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently That it might not rain. And for three years and six months. It did not rain on the earth. Seven rainy seasons. No rain. And then he prayed again. This is after the confrontation. After the fire had come. He kneels and he prays and he prays and he prays. And he sends his servant and he prays and sends his servant. And God sent rain. This cloud like a man's hand comes up. And before you know it. There's a deluge and he, has to, he gets to Jerusalem sooner, no, Samaria, sooner than Ahab does because uh, he runs and Ahab's in a chariot, gets bogged out. What I really wanted to talk about was 2 Chronicles 19 and 20, but there isn't time. Please read 2 Chronicles 19 and 20. It contains a prophecy that we love to quote. Don't be afraid of the battle. It's not yours, but God's. You won't need to fight. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord and go out tomorrow. The Lord will be with you. We love that, don't we? All you have to do is pray and God do everything. And he did. The enemy fought each other and disappeared. But there's a bit more, and this is the bit. Jehoshaphat's been attacked by Moab and Ammon and the Aramaeans, and he's afraid. And he seeks God. He prayed and he called for the people to do the same. And they did. We don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. And the spirit came on Jehaziel. Just a bloke. He's not the prophet Jehaziel. He's just a bloke who's there with everybody else. All of them. To pray and fast and seek God. For the king and for the nation. Just a bloke like us. And he got up and said that. Don't be afraid of the battle. It's not yours. It's wonderful. We we quote that time and time again, don't we? Whether it's really relevant or not. Jehoshaphat acts on that. He's equipped by that. He acts on that. And he says to the people, believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And they don't even need to fight the battle. Prophets and the others in Ephesians 4 are God's gift to his church, according to Ephesians 4. Christ, in his sovereign will, gives people, to people, for people. People with ministries, people inspired and enabled. In this case, prophets. For change, until We reach unity and maturity, hence Elijah's Elijah's prayer, the one true God who reconciles people to himself and to each other and puts them in community like a body and will reconcile all things to himself in the new covenant through the blood of Christ. This may involve prophets or ministering in the prophetic if it's less threatening. Dare we open ourselves to the possibility that God might want some of us in this ministry? Dare we ask him if he wants us? Dare we listen and see what the answer might be? Joel 2.28 doesn't rule people out. Please look all these things up. Acts 17.10 The testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. Amen.